Good day everyone. We have made it to the second episode of Let's Talk Business. As stated in the first episode, this series aims to cover topics, processes and terms found in the business world. And just like before, the presentations will be broadly divided into three distinct but related categories of economics, finance and business. This is a production by Dr. Admire Mopper Radzer Dube. We will not be recapping what we discussed in the previous episodes. Save for when we are picking specific terms previously explained in the past week's episode. For those who missed the first episode, we suggest you go back to it now and get an appreciation of what this presentation is all about. That will also help where it comes to glossary terms that we explain in each episode. Please enjoy the presentation and consider subscribing or follow us on social media or both. We thank you for you all for your love and support and we keenly look forward to engaged discussions. For this second offering today, as in the first, we will begin economics. Last week we discussed macroeconomics and microeconomics and the difference between the two. We also listed real life questions economics tries to answer. So, from this week we will pick one macroeconomics topic, one microeconomics topic, and one real life question. We will also look at supply and demand, changes in market equilibrium, inflation and how it is measured. If devaluation is beneficial to an economy. And finally, under this economic section, we will look at the glossary of a few selected terms relevant to our discussion today. So, without further ado, our microeconomics topic of the day is supply and demand supply and demand depict the operation of a market and the interplay between producers and customers the price and quantity of products and services are determined by supply and demand curves but don't worry we will not delve into the x axis and y axis of things for now lest it gets boring for you back to supply and demand any changes in supply and demand will influence the equilibrium price and amount sold. This is how the invisible hand works, and it explains why market equilibrium occurs when demand equals supply. Only at this level does the price have no propensity to fluctuate. It will also have an impact on the incentives for manufacturers to produce more or less and equally on consumers to purchase more or less depending on pricing. The price point at which both the suppliers are willing to sell and customers are willing to buy is thus what we term equilibrium price. The amount of an item sold on the market by producers is referred to as supply. Because it is more lucrative for enterprises to expand supply at higher prices, the supply curve slopes upward. Demand is the quantity of an item that customers seek to purchase at various prices. Less will be wanted at greater prices. As prices decline, more will be wanted. The demand curve equally slopes downwards. Changes in market equilibrium. Any factor other than price might cause a change in the demand curve. For example, if a product gets more fashionable, of higher quality, or if the price of an alternative product rises. A movement in the demand curve will then result in a new equilibrium price point. It will result in increased pricing and quantity. On the supply side, a decrease in the supply of an item would raise prices and cause a decrease in demand. The extent by which demand declines is determined by demand elasticity. But note, 
Some products have very few alternatives so their equilibrium points are determined by other factors besides price of alternate products. In the long run, supply and demand. Supply and demand are always shifting. A higher price may cause a minor drop in demand in the short term. However, in the long run, customers may react differently. For instance, rather than just continue paying for more costly petrol, individuals may opt to purchase an electric vehicle. Therefore, in the long term demand will be more elastic, more sensitive, to a change in price. In the near term, there is an increase in demand, which leads to an increase in price. However, corporations respond by investing in growing capacity. As a result, there is a long-term shift in supply to the right. As a result, bearing other factors, the price does not rise. And so, that's it for our microeconomics topic of the day. We have chosen a related topic for macroeconomics section. Inflation. In simple terms, what is inflation? Inflation is the rate at which prices rise over a specific time period. Hence you often hear phrases like 5% year-on-year, meaning prices have risen 5% from what they were a year ago. Likewise, you might have heard of month-on-month inflation numbers. These compare prices now from what they were a month earlier. And so on and so forth. Inflation is often defined as a broad metric, such as the total increase in prices or the cost of living in a country. There are a multiplicity of reasons why inflation happens but they can be broadly categorized into two sections. Demand pull reasons, or cost push reasons. Under demand pull reasons will be matters that tend to see a rise in aggregate demand. Like, interest rate cuts, increase in wages, increased confidence, and increased money supply. Under cost push reasons will be matters that tend to see a fall in short-run aggregate supply like, higher taxes, local currency devaluation, a rise in prices of imported goods, and indeed rising wages does fit on this side as well. Now we move on to the cost of inflation. To people who have experienced inflation firsthand the effects of inflation are pretty obvious. But for the sake of expediency as well as to cover the few that have never experienced it we will state a few of the costs of inflation in real terms. Fall in real value of savings. Decline in competitiveness. Fall in real incomes. Economic uncertainty leading to lower investment. Boom and bust economic cycles. Even inflation mitigating efforts are a cost in themselves. And these are only economic factors, yet it has proved time and again that in practice, there are also social and even political costs. Unfortunately, we will not delve into those in these series. How is inflation measured? The goal when measuring inflation is to assess how rising costs influence customers' purchasing power. Inflation is mainly measured in three phases. 1. Select a typical basket of basic goods and services a family will consume and give a weighting to the importance of different goods in that typical basket of goods. 2. Measure the change in price of the goods in that typical basket of goods for the chosen duration. 3. Finally, convert into the index, that is, divide the cost of market basket in current period by the cost of market basket in base period and multiply by a 100 to get percentage change. Now, 
What makes inflation measurement always seem different is they differ in what is included or excluded in a basket of basics. Case in point is a Canadian basket, which includes the likes of cable TV as a basic necessity, be the same model basket used to measure inflation in, let's say, Malawi? What of the model number of a standard family size? Four? Six? Or eight? There is also the issue of the base year, called rebasing. Should inflation measures use basket price from 5, 10 or 15 years ago? Then when it comes to weightings here too is a big divergent point. For instance if we look at the 2017 UK inflation measurement weightings we note they restaurants and hotels at 10% weight, and recreation and culture at 12%. If the same basket with its weightings is to be used to measure inflation in Kenya then it will capture 5-star hotel prices to the weight of 10% yet not a commensurate number of local residents use the service enough for it to deserve such a weighting for Kenya. I bet from this we now appreciate that the regional and local circumstances nature of measuring inflation. Yet still that is not all the complication there is to measuring inflation. The Retail Price Index RPI, is one of the two main measures of consumer inflation. RPI includes mortgage interest payments. The effect of mortgage interest payments is not included in the Consumer Price Index. National statisticians have long stated that the RPI formula does not match international standards and with time have successfully advocated for the publication of a new indices like the CPI, CPIG, CPX, CPE, etc. We will note sink deeper into the morass that is inflation measurement. To wake you up, let's pick a question from the 15 mentioned in the introduction presentation last week. Let's try. Is a devaluation beneficial to the economy? The decision to diminish the value of a currency in a fixed exchange rate is known as devaluation. A devaluation occurs when the value of a currency decreases. Imports and international trips will be more expensive for domestic inhabitants. Domestic exports, on the other hand, will gain from lower export prices. Advantages of devaluation 1. Exports become more affordable and competitive to overseas customers. As a result, this boosts domestic demand and may result in job growth in the export industry. 2. Increased exports should result in a reduction in the current account deficit. This is critical if the economy suffers from a big current account deficit as a result of a lack of competitiveness. 3. Increased exports and aggregate demand AD can contribute to faster economic development. 4. Devaluation is a less destructive technique to regain competitiveness than internal devaluation. Internal devaluation is based on deflationary measures that cut prices by decreasing aggregate demand. Depreciation can boost competitiveness without lowering aggregate demand. 5. The central bank may lower interest rates if the currency is devalued since it no longer needs to prop up the currency with high interest rates. Disadvantages of devaluation Inflation Inflation is likely to result from devaluation because 1. Imported goods will be more costly, any imported good or raw material will increase in price aggregate demand AD rises, resulting in demand pull inflation. This effect is more so in economies that depend in large parts on imports. Also, firms or exporters have less motivation to minimize costs since the devaluation will boost their competitiveness. The issue is that long-term devaluation may result in poorer production due to a reduction in incentives. 2. Reduces people buying power overseas. For example, 
going a vacation abroad is more expensive. 3. Lowering of actual earnings. A devaluation that produces increased import costs would make many consumers feel worse off during a period of poor wage growth. 4. A significant and quick depreciation may deter overseas investment. Because the devaluation effectively reduces the actual worth of their assets, investors are less likely to retain government debt. Rapid depreciation might cause capital flight in specific instances. 5. If consumers have commitments in foreign currency, such as mortgages, the cost of debt repayments will shoot up following a devaluation. This happened in Hungary where the government devalued its currency but because many people had taken out foreign currency mortgages in euro terms, following the devaluation, paying off euro-denominated mortgages became prohibitively costly. Now we get to the glossary of today's words needing explanation. Glossary Elasticity Elasticity is a measure of a variable's sensitivity to a change in another variable, most frequently the change in amount requested compared to other factors such as price. Price elasticity is the degree to which people, customers, or producers adjust their demand or the amount provided in reaction to price or income changes in business and economics. It is mostly used to measure the change in customer demand caused by a change in the price of an item or service. Equilibrium Price Equilibrium is the situation in which market supply and demand balance each other, resulting in stable pricing. In general, an oversupply of products or services leads prices to fall, resulting in increased demand, whereas an undersupply or shortage causes prices to rise, resulting in decreased demand. The impact of supply and demand balancing results in a condition of equilibrium. Invisible Hand The concept of the invisible hand refers to the hidden factors that drive the free market economy. Individual self-interest and freedom of production and consumption serve the best interests of society as a whole. The spontaneous movement of prices and the flow of commerce is caused by the ongoing interplay of individual influences on market supply and demand. The term invisible hand initially emerged in Adam Smith's renowned work, The Wealth of Nations, to express how free markets may motivate individuals to create what is societally essential while acting in their own self-interest. Rebasing In inflation calculation, rebasing refers to modifying the real reference date in which a real cost or saving is stated, and the rebased amount is computed as the applicable real cost or saving multiplied by the actual CPI index value as of the rebasing date. In other settings, rebasing may have different implications. It might mean altering the weights of an index, altering an index number series price reference period, or altering an index number series index reference period. The weights, price reference period, and index reference period may or may not be adjusted at the same time. Real Income Real income is how much money an individual or entity makes after accounting for inflation and is sometimes called real wage when referring to an individual's income. Individuals often closely track their nominal versus real income to have the best understanding of their purchasing power. And with that we conclude our economics section. Now, let's look at finance. 
In the previous presentation we briefly touched on the question of what finance is. But today we explore the question more. A kind of what is finance, part 2. We will also look at Understanding finance The brief history of finance Distinguishing features of Public finance, corporate finance, personal finance, social finance, and behavioral finance Finance versus economics Why is corporate finance strategy important to all managers? We will touch briefly on securities markets as well What is finance? Part 2 Finance refers to the administration, creation, and analysis of money and investments. It entails the use of credit and debt, securities, and investment to fund present initiatives with the proceeds of future revenue flows. Finance is inextricably tied to the time value of money, interest rates, and other related issues because of its temporal component. Finance is usually classified into three categories. Public finance Corporate finance and personal finance. There are also additional subcategories, such as behavioral finance, which aims to discover the cognitive, for example, emotional, social, and psychological, factors influencing financial decisions. Now let's move on to Understanding Finance. Finance is usually divided into three major categories, tax systems, government spending, budget procedures, stabilization policies and tools, debt challenges, and other government concerns are all part of public finance. Meanwhile, corporate finance is the management of a company's assets, liabilities, revenues, and debts. Lastly, personal finance encompasses all of an individual's or household's financial decisions and actions, such as budgeting, insurance, mortgage planning, savings, and retirement planning. So, what is the history of finance? First, let's look at early stocks, bonds, and options. Belgium claims to have been the first exchange, with a 1,531 exchange in Antwerp. As a result of issuing shares and paying dividends on voyage revenues, the East India firm became the first publicly traded company. The London Stock Exchange was established in 1773, while the New York Stock Exchange was established less than 20 years later. However, the first recorded bond originates from a stone tablet dated back to 2400 BC, which detailed debt commitments that were secured grain repayment or bond, signifying some kind of equity share organized sell. Feudal governments of the time also began issuing bonds to pay military endeavors during the Middle Ages. For instance, the Bank of England was established in the 17th century to support the British Navy. To fund the Revolutionary War of 1775-1783, the United States also resorted to issuing Treasury bonds. Um. We may now quickly run through the distinguishing features of public finance, corporate finance, personal finance, social finance, and behavioral finance, respectively. Public Finance A central government is responsible for public finance and helps to avoid market failure by monitoring resource allocation, income distribution, and economic stabilization. 
Regular financing for these programs is mostly provided by taxation, royalties, borrowing from banks, insurance firms, and other governments, as well as income from its subsidiaries, which all contribute to varying degrees to the central government's funding. The central government also provides grants and assistance to state and or municipal governments. Other sources of public funding include user fees from ports, airports, and other facilities, fines for breaching the law, profits from licenses and fees, such as those for driving, and sales of government securities and bond issuance. Corporate Finance This pertains to businesses' entities. Businesses get financed through a variety of methods, including stock investments, grants, and credit agreements. A company may obtain a bank loan or set up a line of credit. Acquiring and managing debt correctly may assist a firm in expanding and becoming more successful. Angel investors or venture capitalists may provide funding to startups in exchange for a portion of ownership. If a company succeeds and goes public, it will issue stock exchange shares. Such initial public offerings IPOs, bring a large infusion of capital into a company. To raise funds, established corporations may sell more shares or issue corporate bonds. Companies can buy dividend-paying equities, blue-chip bonds, or interest-bearing bank certificates of deposit CD. They may also buy other companies in an effort to boost revenue. Personal Finance Personal financial planning involves assessing a person's or a family's present financial situation, forecasting short-term and long-term requirements, and implementing a plan to meet those goals within individual budgetary restrictions. Personal finance is heavily influenced by one's salary, living expenses, and personal ambitions and aspirations, so obviously there is a very strict parameter within which to make projections. Unless there are other regular, long-term, non-salary, cash inflows. Personal finance issues include, but are not limited to, the purchase of financial goods for personal purposes, such as credit cards, life and house insurance, mortgages, and retirement products. Personal banking, such as checking or current account, and savings or call account, including the nature of pension plan in place, are included in the definition of personal finance. The most important aspects of personal finance are appraising one's current financial situation, expected cash flow, present savings, and so on. Purchasing insurance to defend against danger and ensure one's financial security. Also on potentially ruinous items not to omit will be, tax calculation and filing, investing and saving, and retirement planning. Personal finance, compared to other finance categories, is a relatively new discipline. However, elements of it have been taught in colleges and schools as home economics or consumer economics since the early 20th century. Male economists first dismissed the area since home economics looked to be the domain of women. Recently, economists have come around and consistently emphasized the importance of extensive personal financial education to the overall functioning of the national economy. This is acknowledgement of its significance to national stability and growth. Social Finance Investments in social businesses, such as non-profit organizations and some cooperatives, are commonly referred to as social finance. Rather than a direct contribution, these investments take the shape of stock or debt funding, with the investor seeking both a financial and, or, a social return. Modern types of social finance also include microfinance, especially loans to small company owners and entrepreneurs especially in developing nations to help their businesses thrive. Lenders profit from their loans while also improving the level of living for people and benefiting the local society and economy. 
This categorized under social finance. Another dimension to it are what are called social impact bonds, also known as pay for success bonds or social benefit bonds. These are a sort of contract with the public sector or municipal government. Repayment and return on investment are conditional on particular social outcomes and achievements. Finally, we look at behavioral finance. There was a period when theoretical and empirical data suggested that traditional financial theories were pretty effective at predicting and explaining certain sorts of economic occurrences. Nonetheless, as time passed, researchers in the financial and economic fields discovered anomalies and behaviors that occurred in the actual world but could not be explained by any existing theory. It became increasingly evident that traditional theories could describe some idealized events, but that the real world was far more messy and unorganized, and that market players frequently behave in illogical ways, making such models impossible to forecast. As a result, academics began to look to cognitive psychology to account for irrational and illogical behavior that current financial theory fails to explain. The discipline of behavioral science sprang from these attempts, it aims to explain our activities, whereas contemporary finance seeks to explain the acts of the idealized economic man, homo economicus. Behavioral finance, a subfield of behavioral economics, presents psychological base theories to explain financial irregularities, such as sharp increases or decreases in stock price. The goal is to uncover and comprehend why people make specific financial decisions. It is assumed in behavioral finance that the information structure and characteristics of market participants systematically impact both individual investment decisions and market results. After all, it was folly of finance practitioners to think all people, individually faced with a similar financial conundrum they would, independent of each other's influence, will come to act in a similar manner, because all are out to maximize profits and efficiency and minimize losses and hardship. Finance versus Economics Economics and finance are inextricably linked, informing and influencing one another. Investors are interested in economic data since it has a significant impact on the markets. Investors should avoid either, or debates about economics and finance. Both are essential and have complementary uses. In general, the focus of economics, particularly macroeconomics, is on the larger picture, such as how a country, region, or market is functioning. Economics can also focus on public policy, whereas finance might focus on individuals, businesses, or industries. Microeconomics describes what happens when particular conditions change at the industry, business, or person level. Microeconomics predicts that if a vehicle manufacturer raises its prices, people would buy fewer vehicles than previously. When a big copper mine in South America fails, the price of copper tends to rise since supply is limited. Finance is also concerned with how businesses and investors assess risk and reward. Historically, economics has been more academic and finance has been more practical, but this gap has grown considerably less prominent in the last 20 years. Now, having said that, is finance an art or a science? The short answer to this question is both. Finance is a science. Finance as a field of study and an area of business, definitely has strong roots in related scientific areas, such as statistics and mathematics. Furthermore, many modern financial theories resemble scientific or mathematical formulas. However, there is no denying the fact that the financial industry also includes non-scientific elements that liken it to an art. 
For example, it has been discovered that human emotions, and decisions made because of them, play a large role in many aspects of the financial world. Modern financial theories, such as the Black Scholes model, draw heavily on the laws of statistics and mathematics found in science, their very creation would have been impossible if science hadn't laid the initial groundwork. Also, theoretical constructs, such as the Capital Asset Pricing Model CAPM, and the Efficient Market Hypothesis EMH, attempt to logically explain the behavior of the stock market in an emotionless, completely rational manner, wholly ignoring elements such as market sentiment and investor sentiment. Finance as an art Nonetheless, while these and other academic advances have substantially enhanced the day-to-day -day functioning of financial markets, history is replete with examples that appear to defy the concept that finance works in accordance with logical scientific rules. Stock market disasters, such as the October 1987 crash, Black Monday, in which the Dow Jones Industrial Average, Dow Jones Industrial Average, fell 22%, and the big 1929 stock market crash, which began on Black Thursday, October 24, 1929, are not well explained by scientific theories like the EMH. Fear, being a human emotion, also had a role, the reason a dramatic fall in the stock market is often called a panic. Furthermore, investor track records have revealed that markets are not totally efficient and, as a result, not entirely scientific. Also, curious enough, the weather appears to have a slight effect on investor mood, with the overall market becoming more positive when the weather is primarily bright, according to studies. Another phenomenon is the January effect, which occurs when stock prices decrease towards the end of one calendar year and rise at the start of the next. And with that we come glossary terms for this week under the finance section. Asset An asset is a resource having monetary worth that an individual, organization, or country possesses or manages with the prospect of future gain. A company's assets are reflected on its balance sheet. They are divided into four categories, current, fixed, financial, and intangible. They are purchased or produced in order to raise the worth of a company or to boost its operations. An asset is anything that may create cash flow, cut expenditures, or increase sales in the future, whether it's manufacturing equipment or a patent. Dividend A dividend is a distribution of a company's earnings to its shareholders that is established by the board of directors of the firm. Dividends are typically paid out quarterly and might be either in cash or in the form of more stock reinvestment. The dividend yield is represented as dividend or price, as a percentage of a company's share price, for example, 3%. Common shareholders of dividend-paying firms are eligible for a payout if they own the shares prior to the ex-dividend date. Investment An investment is an asset or object purchased with the intention of earning revenue or increasing in value. An increase in the value of an asset over time is referred to as appreciation. When a person buys a thing as an investment, the intention is not to consume the commodity but rather to utilize it to build wealth in the future. An investment is usually the outflow of some resource today, time, effort, money, or an asset, with the hope of a bigger payback later than what was first put in. For example, an investor may buy a monetary asset today with the expectation that it will give income in the future or that it will be sold at a better price later for a profit. Microfinance 
Microfinance, often known as microcredit, is a sort of banking service offered to low-income earners, lower amount seekers, or groups who would not otherwise have access to financial services. While institutions involved in microfinance typically provide lending, microloans can vary from $100 to $25,000. Many banks also provide additional services such as checking and savings accounts, microinsurance products, and financial and business education. The ultimate purpose of microfinance is to provide underprivileged individuals with the opportunity to become self-sufficient. And with that we move to the final section of Business We will look at two interesting topics of 1. What a business plan is and 2. Business models Do you know where you're headed before you start your business? As the old adage goes, many individuals have ascended the ladder of achievement only to discover that it was leaning at the top. A strong business strategy is one of the most effective instruments for attaining this. Keep in mind the goals of your company plan. On the one hand, it is designed to instruct the business owner on how to create and run the company. A business plan evolves into a business operation plan. On the one hand, it is designed to instruct the business owner on how to create and run the company. A business plan evolves into a business operation plan. On the other hand, it is prepared with the purpose of enticing a lender or investor to fund the business's startup or next phase. Lenders and investors want to know how much risk they are taking and what kind of returns they might expect. To better communicate with lenders or investors and yourself, be prepared to handle all concerns honestly and intelligently. Be upfront about the dangers and the methods you're putting in place to mitigate them. Even if you don't need a loan or investor, you should conduct this research and prepare for your own advantage. The level of planning will be determined in part by the size of the business. The amount of time you devote to the strategy will have a significant influence on your chances of success. Business planning is divided into four categories. One strategy. Two operations. 3. Financial budgeting and 4. Forecasting Note. While major corporations may have four distinct plans, smaller enterprises may develop a single plan that incorporates components from all four. Format of a business plan The following sections should be included in your business plan. A solid business plan comprises parts on 1. The title page 2. The table of contents 3. The executive summary 4. Executive summary 5. Business description 6. Management information 7. Market and business analysis 8. Business and market development 9. Marketing and sales information 10. Financial data 11. Funding application, if need be, and 12. The appendix Furthermore, the planning process might take anything from 2 weeks to 6 months. However, it is critical that you plan ahead of time. After careful preparation, you may discover that your ideal business will not be financially viable. 
it is more preferable to discover that something will not work before you lose your million dollars than to borrow money and put it at risk. Business Models The word business model refers to a company's profit-making strategy. It specifies the items or services that the company intends to offer, its target market, and any estimated expenditures. Business models are critical for both new and existing companies. They assist new and expanding businesses in attracting investment, recruiting talent, and motivating management and workers. Traditional business strategies include direct sales, franchising, advertising-based businesses, and brick-and-mortar storefronts. There are also hybrid models, such as enterprises that mix internet selling with physical storefronts or with athletic organizations such as American National Basketball Association NBA. Established firms must change their business models on a regular basis or they will fail to predict future trends and issues. Business models also assist investors in evaluating firms of interest to them, and workers in understanding the future of a company they may want to work for. A business model is a high-level blueprint for running a profitable firm in a certain market. The value proposition is a critical component of the business model. This is a description of a company's goods or services and why they are attractive to customers or clients, ideally articulated in a way that distinguishes the product or service from its rivals. A new enterprise's business model should also include expected beginning costs and finance sources, the organization's target client base, marketing strategy, an analysis of the competition, and income and expense estimates. The strategy may also include chances for the company to collaborate with other existing businesses. For example, the business model for an advertising company may identify benefits from a referral relationship with and from a printing company. Successful firms have business models that allow them to meet the demands of their customers at a competitive and sustainable cost. Many firms periodically change their business models to meet changing business circumstances and market needs. When analyzing a firm as a potential investment, the investor should learn how the company produces money. This entails investigating the company's business model. To be sure, the business model does not reveal all about a company's potential. However, an investor who knows the company's strategy will be able to make more sense of the financial facts. And for today's glossary terms we will look at. Board In the case of public corporations, the Board of Directors B of D, is the governing body, chosen by shareholders to determine strategy and monitor management. The board usually meets on a regular basis. A board of directors is required for every public corporation. A board of directors is also used by certain commercial firms and charitable organizations. Business cycle Business cycles are a sort of business oscillations evident in a country's aggregate economic activity. From expansion to recession. A cycle in which numerous economic activities expand at roughly the same time, followed by similarly broad declines. This change sequence is recurring but not periodic. An example of an economic cycle is the business cycle. Liquidity The efficiency or convenience with which an asset or security may be converted into immediate cash without impacting its market price is referred to as liquidity. Cash is the most liquid asset of all. Corporation What exactly is a corporation? A corporation is a legal body that exists independently of its owners. Corporations have many of the same legal rights and obligations as people. 
They have the ability to enter into contracts, lend and borrow money, sue and be sued, hire personnel, own assets, and pay taxes. A corporation is sometimes referred to as a legal person by some. The specific legal definition of a corporation varies by state, but the company's most significant feature is always restricted liability. This implies that while shareholders may benefit from dividends and stock gain, they are not personally accountable for the company's debts. With that we bring our presentation to a close. We need to hear from you, please comment. At this point, we have to remind each other again of the disclaimer. This production is for information purposes only. For professional assistance to make commercial decisions, and on specific queries, we provide a paid service. Please contact us directly on website www.admiremopperradzerdubey.com Spelt A D M I R E M A P A R A D Z A D U B E dot com You can also reach us on our social media accounts of the same names. Please do consider following and subscribing while you edit for midweek updates. We would like to thank our sponsors, without whom this series would not have been possible. Finaco Finance Brass Monkey Distillers Star Farm Produce E-Power Energy Asak Construction Right Angle Engineering Sendisa Logistics Big Lights Media Chem Matrix Chemicals and Finally, Cradle of Africa Travel and Tours We look forward to the next edition. Have a good one. Till next time. Cheers.